Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to FYI, Arc's weekly podcast on innovation and technology investing. This week, we talked to Aaron Nace, founder of Flurn, an online education startup focused on digital photography and image editing. Aaron was one of the first YouTube educators to help people get fluent with digital tools like Photoshop and Lightroom, and founded Flurn to help amateurs grow their career into creative professionals. In this episode, we touch on the state of online education, why it's easier to build a business than ever, and what it means to be a self-funded startup. So Aaron, tell our listeners a little bit about your company. It's called Flurn, and it teaches online media photography. What are you guys trying to do? So we founded basically originally with the idea, this was back in like 2011, photo education and online education was relatively new at that time. And my background is actually in photography and retouching. And there just weren't a lot of services out there that offered professional level education for like amateur kind of starting out photographers all the way up to professional photographers. And as you know, like the photography industry has changed quite a bit in even the last 10 years. You know, when I started, it was just, you know, buying digital cameras, having this big, big thing with you all the time. But nowadays, everyone's a photographer. You've got a phone in your pocket with a really great camera on it. And so the photography in it as a whole has exploded and uh, it's changed quite a bit. And we're basically trying to help anyone out there who's got a camera, which is just about everyone these days, yeah. make and take better images. Okay. So Aaron, you started the company, you were a photographer yourself. When you started, what kind of tools were available? Was YouTube still a thing yet? Um, I assume there were good web tutorials. I think you started on YouTube, right? Actually, YouTube at the time was super limited. So, you know, we're talking about 10 years ago. And at the time, there was a maximum upload length with YouTube. I think it was like seven or eight minutes. Oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, also, YouTube didn't support HD at the time as well. So uh, we actually started producing our videos on Vimeo.com because they had the technology. They were offering what we needed because, you know, if we're going to teach something that's, you know, relatively in depth, you kind of need more than like five to eight minutes to teach it. So we started out on Vimeo.com. And when YouTube started rolling out these features, we migrated all of our content to YouTube. And the big push there, I mean, I was happy with Vimeo services, but YouTube has a built-in audience. And as a marketing platform, it's incredibly powerful. So we've been with YouTube since 2011, and it's been really working pretty well for us. Now, at some point, you went from a just a purely free to a to a I guess two tier free and paid service. How did that come about, and how does the paid portion of your service work in relation to YouTube? 
So we've offered free tutorials since day one, and we still do. Every single week we release a free tutorial on YouTube. It's just, you know, our YouTube channels, Flearn, P-H-L-E-A-R-N. And that's really a core part of the business. I, I wanted to make education available to anyone. And getting in there and like, hey, I just need to learn how to do this little thing here and there, like that stuff, I'm like, yeah, that should be free. If you want to kind of take college level type courses, you know, stuff where you're investing hours and hours of time and energy to become, a, let's say, a professional retoucher or enhance your skills as a professional photographer, or maybe you're a graphic designer and you want to get a lot better of a handle on, you know, the tools that you're going to use. That's where we kind of like delineate our sale products. And currently we have a, a subscription product. So it's a uh, you know, just like Netflix, you pay a monthly fee and you get access to everything. And are those videos behind a paywall? Are they also on YouTube or it's a different kind of video service platform? It's a different service platform. Yeah, it's all on our website. We use Brightcove as our like video hosting. They're an enterprise level video hosting platform. But yeah, everything is free on YouTube. And we also have free tutorials on our website. But uh, once you get behind the paywall, once you become a subscriber, then you get access to advanced content as well as just like additional features. Like you can, for instance, if we're going to be working on a photo in one of the tutorials, you can download the photo so you can follow along with the tutorial as well. I see. So YouTube is, it's probably not fair to call it just a customer acquisition strategy because you really believe in providing that content for people out there. But it is a kind of a huge funnel that just, it's probably a primary funnel to get people to actually sign up and pay for the service. Yeah, totally. It's exactly like what you said. It, it kind of works as both in our case. It's like part of our company mission has always been to create free content. And if YouTube goes away tomorrow, which I don't think it will, we'll be looking for a different platform to give away content. So it's, you know, something that we've really made it a goal since day one to do. And um, of course, it, it kind of gives everyone a great preview as to what they're actually going to be learning on the site as well. Sure. Tell me a little bit about your audience, both on the YouTube side and people who subscribe to your service. How do they, what's this customer story of how they find you, maybe consume some of the free content and then decide to migrate to the paid service? How much do you charge for the service? And where do you see yourself kind of in this pretty broad landscape of online education? So we definitely have like two separate audience groups. You know, a lot of the folks who are on YouTube are just kind of looking for something quick, like how do I crop this photo? Or like, how do I remove this guy in the background? It's like a vacation photo, you know, me and my family and some guys just like staring at, you know, some bird in the background or whatever. I just want to get rid of him. So a lot of that stuff you can just do in a couple of minutes and we provide all that for free. So that audience is the ages range, you know, all the way from young children to older adults. It's a huge age range, uh, kind of surprisingly. When it comes to the paid products, you know, we're targeting people who are looking to take their career to the next level. And so that tends to be a little bit of an older crowd, anywhere from mid 20s, 30s. We really see quite a bit of our paid audience in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. These are people looking for maybe a second career or a second hobby. They, you know, they have a established primary career and they really enjoy photography as a hobby and are really, you know, they want to almost go to like school again for photography. But now we are able to provide that edu education online. Gotcha. What's your best customer story? <laughs> so we get these surprisingly a decent bit. Uh, Again, because we offer quite a bit for free, 
we get people who write in and say like, Aaron, you know, I started watching your videos, uh, you know, three, four years ago at the time I was working in a job I didn't really love and I, I didn't know what I'm doing. And through your services, through learning, you know, uh, about photography and Photoshop and retouching, now I work for myself. Now I, I was able to quit my job. I'm a full-time working professional. My clients really love the work that I'm able to give them. And I feel like I'm finally taking like control of my future. I'm doing something creative as a full-time job. And to me, that's just the best ever because that's exactly who I am. I'm a creative, you know, I started out as a photographer and I really wanted to make my passion, make my interests into my career as well. <laughs> and education was just a, a wonderful way for me to do that. I just happened to really enjoy education and I really enjoy teaching. And so kind of my dream of becoming a full-time creative I see that in other people who are students. And to me, that's just the best thing ever. You know, you mentioned the word uh, full-time creative and it's like now, which is, it, which is interesting. It seems like wherever you look, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Snapchat, people are becoming, I think my friend David Perel might've observed this or someone else, but people are becoming brands, individual brands. And they're able to do this at a very young age. I kind of grew up uh, along with the internet, so it wasn't quite baked out yet when I when I started. But uh, back then, you could maybe have a blog or or something like that. But but nowadays, I mean, kids before they reach drinking age have twenty million followers on Instagram, and they really have these strong creative instincts. What do you think have changed? Maybe just through the maturation of the internet and the tools available. What does that mean for I guess what jobs you can have? Um, what kind of learning you should do and and really how seriously you should take something like college. Because it, it seems like the options, the, the menu of what you could do with your life at, at that age point of 18, 22 has really changed dramatically. It has. And these days, you know, I think college is seen as one option. As far as furthering your education goes, there are so many ways to do that. And as far as even just like starting your own business and getting out on your own, it is easier now than it ever has been. And if you have an idea that you're excited about and a work effort to pull something together and, you know, friends, family, customer base to support you in that. There are no age restrictions out there. I mean, there are, like you said, teenagers who are building and running fairly large companies. It's really, really exciting. So I would say, you know, just like we're out here teaching the professional photography, you know, and post-production market, there are so many online educators who are teaching you exactly what you need to know. If, if you're interested in coding and learning web languages, there are wonderful online resources for that as well. So I think traditional careers, like if you want to be a doctor, for instance, you probably still have to go to college for that. But there are so many careers that really don't require a college level education, in my opinion. Not to discount college, I went to college, I had a great time, I learned a lot, it was a really valuable experience, but I don't think it's necessary anymore. And because so many people are going to college, it doesn't really set you apart that much. Yeah. For instance, everyone I've ever hired, I've never asked to see a diploma. I don't, you know, that to me in my company and where I, our background, that's just not that important. I don't care where you went to school. Like. Do you have a good attitude? Are you going to show up for work on time and like work hard and try your best and like fit into our culture? 
if those are yeses, I don't really care if you went to college or not personally. That's quite an amazing change. I think um, maybe even five years ago that that mentality would be would be only applicable in a handful of companies, but we're seeing that even more and more, um, even in larger companies. Um, I think online education is is a pretty wide space, lots of free options. YouTube is probably the mother of all free options. You can learn how to draw, how to code, how to be an auto mechanic just on YouTube without paying a, a dime. Um, and then there are these uh, all these emergent kind of paid premium services. Uh, Masterclass is something I tried last year. They they have these super celebrities offer you like Gordon Ramsay teaches you how to cook and Hans Zimmer teaches you <laughs> totally. how to compose music. Um, I didn't take nearly as many as I thought I would have. Um, and then there's lynda.com, which got acquired by LinkedIn, of course, and they're a paid kind of learn lots of stuff, kind of maybe a b- more broader version of yourself. How do you think of, I guess, Flurn in the context of these paid services that's available? Which of these uh, services do you think um, is doing a pretty good job? And um, what does it take to succeed from a business model perspective for paid online education? In my opinion, operating in a niche and doing that niche very, very well will most definitely set you apart. So companies you mentioned like lynda.com, you know, they've been around for a long time. They you know just went through that huge acquisition and they are one of the successes in the education world as far as, you know, as far as acquisition and, you know, that sort of thing goes. They have so much content, but they don't really focus on any particular type of content with a great degree of just energy and focus and and creativity and, and really trying to push the boundaries. For instance, you can learn Photoshop on lynda.com. Many, many people do. But it's not the same type of education that you would get if you were looking to become, let's say, a professional retoucher or a professional graphic designer or a professional photo editor or a professional compositor or even just a professional photographer. You know, if you want to learn the basics of a program, that that's a great place to start. But I think that you take a company like Linda or Masterclass and take any one of their classes, any one of their topics and really, really explore those classes and topics. And you'll find that you found yourself a niche there and entire businesses can be supported, you know, just working within those niches. And I think lynda.com was bought for, you know, close to a billion dollars. It's a huge, huge, you know, especially within the education world. So maybe you're not going to build a billion dollar business in a couple of years, or maybe you are, I don't want to limit you. You Rock it out. You do a great job. But that doesn't mean that you can't build a business that will support you, support a team of people, and you know the growth opportunity is is there. And uh, I think positioning yourself as a a niche provider and someone who really goes above and beyond in any specific category is a way to succeed. Which of your peers or competitors do you think you know you you admire and you think they're doing a pretty good job? That's a good question. You know, it's actually a very changing landscape in in my particular field we have some new players to the game who i think are actually doing a really good job with their content one of the companies worth mentioning is creative live they're you know i would say it's a mid to large size company and i would say that they were kind of like the uh, the brightest star for a long long time and the field is changing a little bit it's you know someone who you might think is like the biggest player in in the industry you know, fast forward five years later, and that can completely change. Underdogs can kind of come out of nowhere 
and and push to the top and companies that were kind of like behemoths and dominating the industries can kind of, you know, lose that position as well. So what do they offer? What, what do they teach? Oh, so for instance, uh, Creative Live is they teach photography, they teach quite a bit, they teach like business, they teach graphic design, they even teach like arts and crafts and that sort of thing. Like if you want to learn how to do macrame and things like that. So they they really teach quite a bit. And they, they did a fantastic job building that company. I We were founded just a couple years after they were, and they kind of like skyrocketed in terms of growth and brought in a lot of very talented people and, and taught a lot over a very uh, short period of time and created a lot of really great content. Yeah. So it's, there are all these interesting players that, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it's tough. Obviously, like I'm in this market, right? So sure. it's like, I wish anyone in this market and anyone in business in general success, you know, because it's hard. Like running a business is tough. You're faced constantly with decisions where it's like, this could be the best thing we did or this could totally ruin the company. These things are very hard. So I think anyone who's out there putting their all in and, and trying their best, like they deserve a congratulations and, you know, they deserve to be recognized for the amount of energy that they're putting in, no matter where they are on the growth uh, arc of their company. What is the hardest decision you've had to make as, as the founder of Flurn? Well, we switched things up quite a few times at the company. There were times where, for instance, I was working with a business partner and it just personality wise, it became obvious that we probably shouldn't be working together anymore. So the decision to go ahead and split the partnership and for, you know, both partners to kind of like move on to their onto their own separate projects. That was a pretty tough decision. First, you know, from just like a, well, what do we do next type of thing? But also working with a business partner day in and day out, you know, everyone puts their energy and like love for lack of a better word into a company and to see things maybe not turn out exactly like how you thought they were going to turn out. It's uh, it can be a pretty emotional blow as well as just like a financial blow and, uh, you know, logistic blow to the company as well. You know, if the person who, for instance, if I was my previous business partner, he was working with a team of people under him. And when he left the team of people he was working with primarily that dissolved as well. So uh, not only did he leave, but a portion of the business internally anyway, left as well. And then since then, we've moved past it and grown and rebuilt that part of the company. And everything is like chugging full steam ahead. And it's going really well. But for a period of, I would say, a year to 18 months, it was definitely a, a pretty tough transition stage. And, you know, I think anyone who's who's known anyone who's gone through a divorce can relate. Sometimes it, it can be for the better, but it, it's never easy. It's never easy on the parents. It's never easy on the children. And, you know, when we're talking about a company, it's not easy on a company as well. Gotcha. Um, tell us about a little bit about the founding of the company. Um, you mentioned that it's kind of, or it's easier now to start a company than ever before. What is it like to start a When was, I guess, Flurn founded? Um, and maybe even now, if you were starting over again, um, how different would that process be? No, man, I wish I could start today knowing <laughs> what I know now. <laughs> oh, that would be just an absolute dream. Because you make mistakes along the way, right? Like running a business, there's nothing that really can prepare you for it. It's just something that you kind of start, give it your best intention, work really hard. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way. And it it can be tough. You know, sometimes if you're not in the right mental state, those those mistakes could really bring you down. 
But at the end of the day, every mistake you make is a learning opportunity. It's like, oh, cool. Just don't do that again. That's great. Fantastic. Now I know what to not do. And, you know, you check enough of those off your list and you get a pretty solid way of operating a company. Not to say that, you know, don't go out of your way to make (laughs) decisions you don't think are going to be good. But, you know, there's a lot to learn. So if I was starting out today, for instance, at the core, I believe a business that offers a solid product will always be relevant in the market, provided you can take care of all your accounting and you know make sure that number-wise the business makes sense. But offering a solid product is always the way to start. So you know if you're just looking to start a business uh, or or even invest in a business or acquire a business. You know, take a look at their product offering. Is it a high quality product? Does it stand out in the marketplace? And if it does, and the business is run well, then I think you got a real shot of making it, you know, into the future. If upon your research, the core product is lacking, I think that's where you start. It doesn't matter how many sales you run, how you keep your, you know, expenses, what your profit and loss sheets look like. If you aren't offering a solid product at the end of the day, it becomes very difficult to run a sustainable business in the long term. Are there companies today, we see just a huge swath of software as a service companies from Salesforce to Twilio and companies like that. It seems like a lot of companies, um, A, there's just more software companies than ever, and B, companies are being created on top of these companies, uh, Stripe and, and Square and things like that. If you think about the technology stack of what built up Flurn, were any of these companies instrumental would it be much harder 20 years ago versus today, just given the state of where the internet is and where software is? Most definitely. I mean, you mentioned a few of them, even payment processing companies, you know, without companies like Square, we use PayPal and Braintree primarily where we offer a subscription based product. So we use Braintree to process all of our subscription orders, but they're owned by PayPal, right? So yeah, without these payment processing companies, it would have been very difficult to start any type of an online store 20 years ago. And nowadays, I mean, within a couple of days, you can be set up and ready to take credit card payments from anywhere in the world, just like embed a link on your website and you're good to go. So yeah, I would say in terms of just- What would that have taken 20 years? Like, let's say where it's not a good 20 years, maybe uh, 2001, what, what would a web developer have to do to make that reality? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> when I started, PayPal was already around. So that was like a very easy, you know, let's just do that. But um, I imagine you'd have to build a payment gateway and find a way to, you know, like those old credit card machines where they right. dialed up a credit card company and, you know, process an order. I mean, basically a, a, a version of that where you'd have, to, you know, you're doing one-on-one sales through credit card processing companies. So I'm super happy we don't have to do that. (laughs) It's PayPal takes a fee, but I'm happy to pay that fee because it takes a lot of the headache off of us and uh, they're able to absorb a lot of those relationships and uh, logistics. Okay. I love to do a lightning round just on software because I always love learning what startups or even large companies are using uh, internally to run their operations. So I'll give you a quick question and you just let me know the answer and maybe one line on why you picked that particular solution. How does that sound? Sure. Sure. All right. What do you use for team communications internally? 
We use Slack. It's uh, just a great way to communicate in general. Plus, we're a pretty low-key office, so we're sending a lot of gifts and a lot of jokes <laughs> all through the day as well. And, and that's the paid tier of Slack or the free tier? The paid tier. Okay, cool. What about a productivity office or G Suite? We use G Suite. Everything that we do, all the content that we create is all going through, you know, sheets as well as docs and, you know, sharing it with the entire team is incredibly easy. And Slack also has great G Suite integration as well. So it's a pretty easy choice. So Microsoft Office is not getting any, I guess, no one needs to use that, maybe except for the accounting department? Yeah, we do have one person who has Microsoft Office, but everyone else is on the G Suite. Yeah. Fascinating. How about storage? Dropbox, Box, Google Drive? Actually, we have a server uh, in our Chicago location, and the server backs up to Google Storage. So everything is double, triple backed up, and we're always operating off of local drives here in our office, but it's a constant update. We're uh, we're on a fiber connection, so we're able to upload, I, I would say on average, probably 500 gigabytes to a terabyte of information a month would be... A terabyte would be a high month, but 500 gigs is, is pretty average. Gotcha. And last question, what is your favorite piece of software outside of maybe Adobe uh, Photoshop and Lightroom? <laughs> for your company, that is. This is a, a really funny one, but the first thing that comes to mind is for the Mac operating system, it's called Better Snap Tool. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just allows you to put your windows like if you want to click on a window and like yes. snap it to the left side of your yes. screen or the right side of your screen, it just does it automatically for you. It's really nice and it keeps things organized. Awesome. Tell us a little about kind of where the company is headed. Are you raising money? What stage are you at? Um, what is the kind of vision for evolving it to the next step? So we're 10 years in now. The company's uh, been bootstrapped since day one. And I actually... I'm really proud of that and I enjoy being where we're at. You know, our growth arc has has been slow and steady since day one. And those two things, I think in the business world, it's kind of like, oh, slow and steady, gross. Get <laughs> me away from that, right? Where's the return? But I gotta say, as a business owner, slow and steady is fantastic, you know? Like the same thing like the stock market. If, if you can put some money in and have it grow at 8% for the rest of your life, you're going to be in a pretty good place by the end of it. So we're in a growth phase in terms of uh, content. We're bringing on new instructors and expanding out what we teach and working towards building out to different markets as well. But again, slow and steady is kind of the way we do it. What does slow and steady mean? Because where I guess all my comparisons are these kind of public software companies, what does a bootstrapped startup, uh, I don't know, top line or subscriber growth look like percentage wise? Well, if we can grow between 5 and 10% annually and just do that for the long term, that's what I'm looking for. We're not trying to do this, raise a ton of money and then get a quick exit here. This is a, it's a different type of company. It's one that, you know, I want the people I work with to stay here for the long term. I want them to feel fulfilled. And this is a company that I want to be around for the long term. And I want people to feel like this is a lifelong career. And uh, with that, the growth has been very welcomed at, at five to 10% annually. It, it makes a lot of things easier, more predictable, and just a little bit, you know, when you're when you're making really quick decisions and you make a wrong decision really quickly, it can really hurt you. But 
if you're taking your time with your decision making, those wrong decisions tend to be weeded out along that process. They tend to be, because they take longer to do and because they are implemented more slowly, you really question any big decision that might take the company for a drastic turn. Hmm. And I'm interested in a company that is going to stay strong for years and years and not open up the opportunity for like, oh, crap, we just took a bunch of investment money and we built out this product and it's not performing exactly like what we wanted. And now our investors aren't happy. So we have to completely discount our product in order to make these, you know, give our investors their return back. But in the process, we've diluted the value of the company. That sort of thing is like, I don't need that risk in my life. I really don't want that. I We've built a fantastic company with a slow and steady growth. And we're, uh, I would say the, the stress level around the office is pretty low. And uh, we're trying to run a happy company that can survive for decades. So that's my primary, uh, <laughs> primary growth objective there. That's so awesome and so refreshing to hear. Aaron, where can our listeners find your service? Where can they follow you personally? Yeah. So if you're interested in taking your images to the next level, uh, flearn.com, that's P-H-L-E-A-R-N. It's like phlearn.com. That's the best place to find us. And uh, I'm the founder of the company, but I'm also one of the primary educators. So if you you know want to learn, there's a good chance you're going to be seeing a video of me. On our website, we have hundreds and hundreds of free tutorials and we have a subscription product as well. You just pay a monthly or annual fee you get access to everything. We're also Flurn on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. So, uh, you know, pretty easy to find us around the web. And uh, I do have an Instagram, but it's literally just pictures of my wife and my dog. So <laughs> <laughs> people can follow that as well. I'm at A-K-N as in Nancy, A-C-E-R on Instagram if you want to see pictures of my wife and my dog. <laughs> awesome. Aaron, it was such a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, James. That's it for this week. You can find the full ARC team on Twitter. We'll catch you next week. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.